Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, welcome to this week's Countryside Podcast with Kiri Kermode and Simon Clark. And Kiri, you were out and about um, attending a wonderful weekend because uh, in the beekeeping world, because first of all, there was a special guest on the island. And secondly, it's so interesting listening to the beekeepers talking, isn't it? It is so vital, the bees, to the ecosystems and, and the reproduction of so many plants and crops. It was really interesting. Roger Patterson, the bee expert from the UK, is so enthusiastic but the talk he gave was about the exotic bees coming in from Europe and and how feisty they are and they they can chase you around and sting you but the actual manx bees are quite docile and very friendly yeah and such experience at the i know we've got a lot of uh, beekeepers on the island who are so experienced and willing to pass on the help but a lot of experience with with um, Roger as well 53 years experience so it's a long oh. time and his his knowledge is unbelievable yeah. Well, I went along to speak to Richard Ronan, the DEFA minister, about proposals put forward for the future of Knockalo Farm and Patrick, which, of course, uh, is steeped with Manx history. And uh, currently the grounds um, hold the annual Royal Manx Agricultural Show. It's a very good farm, Knockalo, and it's a lot of history, like you say. And people are, are wondering what's going to happen with it. And hopefully it will continue to benefit the Manx public and, and people of the Isle of Man. But it's a very, very good farm grassland production. It is unbelievable at Knockalo, and and it is a lovely setting for the Royal Manx show as well. Yeah, so uh, hopefully um, we can all have some good news about that eventually. And also, I went along to find out more good news from the Curragh Wildlife Park with the general manager Kathleen Graham because uh, they've had some baby lemurs born there, and oh, also wow. some future news uh, about some silver gibbons, which uh, hopefully will come into the park uh, later this year. So uh, some great um, exciting times ahead. It certainly is. So that's all on this week's countryside. So just enjoy it. Manx Radio's country. Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. The sun has finally come out in the Isle of Man and it's got a bit warmer and there's been less rain. <laughs> hooray, hooray. I went along to speak to Kathleen Graham, the general manager of the Wildlife Park in Balaf, to find out about some new arrivals. First, Kathleen, we're very privileged today. We're allowed in with the lemurs. Yeah, uh-huh. we've uh, got baby ring-tailed lemurs, so it's quite an exciting time at the park here. This is the first baby lemurs that we've had for a number of years because, of course, we just had a bachelor male, all-male group for a while, but at the park we introduced uh, female lemurs last year. So That's not a bad record, though, introducing them and then you've got baby ones more or less straight away. Yeah, they, they have a kind of breeding season, so it is normally around Easter time that they give birth. Obviously, Easter was a little bit early this year. Do you know the, the sex of them yet? Not yet. We won't do that until they're a bit older. We'll we'll be able to see, see what sex they've got, but at the moment the mums are keeping them quite close to their belly. You can see them clinging on to the underside of their mother's bellies quite tightly. Are they in pouches or are they just clinging on to the mothers? No, they just cling on to the mothers. They've got um, really tight grip. You know, if you think of your baby child, you know, even babies have really tight grips. And that's, you know, that old 
evolutionary thing from when we used to be covered in hair and our babies used to cling on to us but with primates they cling on to the mum's belly their grip's very tight as you've just seen there Simon the mother's leap from the tree <laughs> to the walkway and uh, baby hangs on very well. Uh, when will it be open to the general public obviously you've got to give them a bit of a chance to, to get acclimatised to everything here. Um, well fairly soon I mean the lemurs are all very relaxed even with their babies are quite relaxed with the public as you'll see when we walked into the walkway there they're quite happily come up to us and you can get right up close to them um, but we have shut the gates just so that they don't get overwhelmed but we, we probably will open the walkway fairly soon we have a few times opened the walkway for an hour or so just manned with a member of staff but you can also see them through the windows as well. The enclosure still got viewing even when the, the walkway's shut. They're quite characters, though, the lemurs, and, of course, that's been noticed, I suppose, on television adverts recently as well. They've just got such characters to them, haven't they? Yeah, well, um, most kids would recognise ring-tailed lemurs from the, the film Madagascar. They tend to think of King Julian. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're quite relaxed animals. They're quite happy sort of coming up to the public. We always ask people to try and resist from stroking them because you're just pushing the boundaries a bit too far. Generally, you'll find if you just stand there quietly, they're quite happy to sit on the, the walkway rail quite close to you. I think you've always got to respect that it is their territory. But, again, if any visitor does get a bit too pushy, they will just jump away and move away from you. So I always say it's better not to try and stroke them because they'll actually spend more time in your company if you if you respect their space. The big long tails on them that's um, you know a trait of them and that they're using them they've got them tucked up around the front of them what's the reason for that? It's like they almost use that big tail like a big blanket or a big scarf and, and they wrap that black and white uh, ring tail up through the middle and almost cover the baby as well so it's a good way that the mothers use their tail to keep youngster warm Thankfully today it's a lovely sunny day and um, they're not needing to keep them too warm. The, the babies are enjoying the sunshine. They seem to be very at home in the environment that you got here at the Wildlife Park though. Yes, yeah, a really relaxed place. It's quite open, quite natural. I think that's quite important for animals as well. Just as us as humans, we enjoy natural space. The animals enjoy the natural environment. Also, am I allowed to... May I heard a rumour that you're getting some some new animals to the park? Well, our silvery gibbons, that's no secret. That's been in the planning for some time and the, the house is, is now erected and we've just got some internal work to do. We've got the climbing frame to put up. Fingers crossed, all going well. The gibbon should arrive in July. We've got one male silvery gibbon coming all the way from the States, the United States. That's going to be really important for the European breeding programme because it brings in a fresh bloodline into the European animals. There's only about nine other zoos that have silvery gibbons and there's less than 2,000 in the island of Java, their homeland. So they are a critically endangered species. So, yeah, that's going to be real, a real uh, big one for the park this year. It must be a, going to be a valuable asset not just to the wildlife park, but to the saving programme of them? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a programme out in Java, the Javan Primate Project, which helps support silvery gibbons in the wild. And uh, Howlett Zoo in the UK, who are the biggest holders of the species, work directly out there in Java. So um, we'll be hoping to link in with them and help to raise some funds to put towards the Javan gibbon out there in the wild. So it's 
are really important that you know we use our animals here not just to raise awareness of their plight in the wild but actually do some uh, good conservation work as well. Well it's uh, marvellous that you've got these these newborns and everything. Is there anything else hidden away that's due to, to produce some rare breeds? Yeah well we have been waiting for some time for our tapir baby. We thought that was imminent um, but we've had to move dad and son out to another paddock so mum's on her own while we wait for her to give birth. Our coatis have been very prolific this spring. There's quite a few females who have given birth. And what are coatis? Their closest relative is the raccoon so the the coatis are from South America. They're very active, they've been a very popular animal since they came to the park last year. We had one litter of five last year, but now we've got at least three females that have given birth each to a litter. Mm. So those youngsters are in the nest boxes at the moment. They come out when they're about five, six weeks old. So we're waiting for them to make their public appearance. Mm. You have to leave the mothers to it. If you disturb them, they might you know, eat their babies. So the best thing to do is just leave them alone. So we haven't counted how many babies we've got, but we reckon it's quite a few. So we're waiting for them to all make an appearance. So that'll be quite exciting. And of course, our porcupines have been very prolific as well. So there's quite a few things that are um, breeding at the moment, which I think is great. It's great for the park. The general manager of the Curragh Wildlife Park in Balaf, Kathleen Graham. Great to see uh, they're progressing well. Um, the great success they've had with the with the breeding programs they've got there as well, isn't it? Yeah, they have some super animals there, and and they've been successful in having the the new silvery gibbons arrive as well in July. That'll be good for the park. But they've had to endure a really wet winter, so I'm sure now the sun's come out, it will really lift the spirits down there. It's been a long, long haul. Yeah, well, there's quite a few people there uh, the day I was there, and it was nice because, as Kathleen said, they're sort of shut away and just giving them a little bit of time with the public, you know, just to get them used to them slowly. And there was just a you know, four people with with a kid each there when I was there. And Catherine just said, oh, well, while we're in here looking at them, you might as well come in. So it was so nice. Oh, and they were treat. so so appreciative of it because it can't be easy, you know, we're trying to get everything there. And, and the gibbons, as you say, only, only, I think, eight or nine zoos around Europe have them. It's, it's so. a massive achievement for the Isle of Man and, and for Kathleen at the park with her staff. It's uh, it's, it's fantastic. Well, Knockalo Farm in Patrick in the west of the Isle of Man is steeped with history from its days as an internment camp during the war years and then latterly as an experimental farm for the Isle of Man government. Nowadays, most of its officers are still there and the building's in good condition and the farmland is tenanted out. Well, to find out more about proposals for its future, I spoke to Richard Ronan, the DEFA minister. Yes, you know, we, we, we have a public meeting called for the 19th of May at 7.30. Basically, this is a commitment which we gave. It was a basic follow-up of where we are. And there's been quite a bit of work done since the last public meeting, but not necessarily noticeable. There's a lot of sort of on groundwork being done on, on, on getting sort of real sort of data on where we need to go forward before we can go out of expressions of interest for the leasing of the, the buildings and potential potentially land around and areas which include statements of significance by Liverpool University, which has been incredibly useful. So really it's an update of where we are and getting to a stage now where we're getting close to, to putting out for expressions of interest so we can engage with the, hopefully the, the private sector or individuals who would be looking at, you know, sort of running uh, this to what is 
agreed sort of uh, criteria which we have engaged with with uh, the commissioners. The, the, I have involved the captain of the parish as well. I thought that was very, very important. And the local community, and they've given us great feedback. So there's the sort of guidelines really where, where we would like to go with this. But also on top of that, I think it's, it, it's important to mention that, you know, there's some fantastic work gone on by people who are doing the internment camp resurrecting the, the, the sort of experiences of that. And we met with them, a couple who have, who have done that um, now for a few years. And I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm absolutely bowled over by, by the work that they've done. And um, at the public meeting as well, I'm hopeful that we'll have a presentation on, on where they are up to in regards to their ideas and aspirations in regards to, to their proposals, which I see as being working perfectly hopefully dovetailing in with any future private investment because to me one will feed the other we're about getting visitor numbers through the gates of Nokalo hopefully creating sort of new sort of businesses which will encourage education encourage sort of food production and areas around that but what we've got to do is cast the net out and see what comes back uh, we're hopeful that th- th- this can happen certainly within the next the next month and the process will go on for a few months, that's for sure. We're not going to put a designated time ending on this. Let's see what comes back. But it's pretty clear there has been interest from the outside about opportunities. You know, I don't see government as this government working in partnership, but it's a landlord ultimately at the end of the day. And uh, if we get this right, this could be, I believe, one of the most visited areas in the Isle of Man. You know, it comes with what will be hopefully new investment. That will tie into what is what is potentially unbelievable what's going to happen with the internment camp proposals. We're looking at creating sort of new footpaths, so basically people can come and have a few hours around and gorgeous walks around Nokalo. We're creating new sort of public footpaths around there. Uh, I know the uh, the other day when we spoke to the people uh, from the who are doing the internment camp ideas, they've got uh, short little walks as well, which will highlight, they'll have notice boards around as well, which is great, you know, for, for short walks for families, etc. as well. And certainly up when you go out up, up to the left of Nokalo, you've got them, you know, the, the mounds there and the hills, and, you know, we're perhaps going to put sort of a viewing area up there, with perhaps with binoculars and things like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited by this, and it's ta- it's taken an awful long time. But you know, with government, everything takes forever, doesn't it? And uh, but you know, this has been going on a lot longer before my time. So I'm pleased it's you know the, at least before the end of this administration, it's coming to some sort of fruition. I'm Manx, and the pub mongers will be saying that there's permission for a new bungalow to go at Nokalo, and by the time it gets from the station, put Aaron to the Grosvenor and Andrews, there'll be 500 houses getting built on it. Yeah, I've, I've already given a foot. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. That's brilliant. That. You, you, I, I think really there's been a commitment, you know, from me. You know, I, there's no no way you would put some a new housing estate. That's the last thing we need right there. So I can categorically say no. The Department of Environment, Food and Agriculture Minister Richard Ronan there talking about the proposals put forward for the future of Knockale Farm. And a good farm it is, Kiri, isn't it? It's a super farm. It, it's a very good growing farm and it's, yeah, it's one of the bigger ones. Yeah, there must be a few acres in it. I don't know exactly, but it's all sort of good land considering um, there's one or two hills around it as well, I suppose, for shelter and everything you'd want, isn't it? But a oh. bit, of, bit of landfall on it so the water's going to run onto somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a very good farm. It's got a little bit of everything and on a windy day she sure is uh, a bit blustery but in the summertime it's a great grass-growing farm. 
And I always remember as, as a kid, we used to go there on the school trips occasionally and you, know, you used to see that three legs of man in the different grass that you could see from the hills. It's yeah. lovely, especially when the show's on each year, somebody goes up and, and does it, prepares it months before, so it's absolutely perfect on the day of the Royal Manx show. It's a nice little touch. Yeah, and it's not a bad setting for the Royal Manx either, is it? It's no, on a, on a Sunday day. for everyone, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's been a few years there now, so hopefully we'll be all getting used to it. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. So, Simon, what do you know about bees? Not too much. No more more of a bird man myself. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I've been talking to one or two people uh, about bees in the past, and we've always wanted a beehive on our little plot there. So uh, it's, it's something that I think you... You need to know a bit of knowledge about it. And I think you were trying to find out more when you attended. Yeah, I went along to see Roger Patterson for a weekend. And it's unbelievable how much of a vital role the bees play. They, You know, they they are desperately needed an ecosystem to reproduce the plants. And it was really interesting. So I went over to the west of the island to meet up with Roger Patterson to see how important the Isle of Man bees are. Certainly uh, health. I haven't seen any real problems. The main problems that everyone else seems to have is varroa, which at the moment you haven't got. And uh, another one is a foul brood, which um, I also understand you haven't got either. Now, a few years back when you first came here, you said the aggression of the bees on the Isle of Man was uh, was quite terrible. Has it improved over the last few years? Um, the aggression of some colonies wasn't very good. The vast majority of them were, were, were OK. Personally, I don't think they've changed in the six years uh, since, six or seven years since. And you're doing an, a project at uh, Shanhara to try and improve the, the quality of the bees. The, the, the dark or the black bee seems to be more favoured. I think it is by most people, yeah. There's a little bit of colour in uh, some of the bees, which tends to suggest uh, introgression from foreign races, exotic races that haven't evolved to live in these sort of conditions. Personally, I think they are contributing to any aggression that there might be in some of the colonies. And do you think the, the dark bee, with its docility, you know, will it be as active as some of these European breeds? You know, will it go and do its pollination and produce honey the same? Yes, there shouldn't be a problem. Don't forget that they've evolved to live here, and they've evolved over millions of years. The exotic races have uh, been involved really to, um, to survive in other climates, so they're not perhaps quite so suitable. Obviously the bees have a very important job in pollinating the veggie crops. The Any sort of seed crop that will be pollinated by pollinating insects, in general bees will pollinate. And do wasps and bees live together? You, know, you see lots of them flying yeah, around. No, no problem at all. Although bees did evolve from wasps sort of 100 million years ago, and they're very often confused with um, bees. Yes, they live together, no, no problem at all. There's no competition for food or anything because they, they live on different, um, different foods. And you see in the winter months sometimes people will put syrup or you know, candy out for the bees. Does it help? No, it certainly doesn't. If anything, it causes problems. The reason is that if it's honey and it's imported honey, it could well contain uh, bacteria or bacterial spores oh, wow. that uh, your bees will then collect, take back to the hive, and you could end up with diseases. So certainly putting foreign honey out is one of the things that I, I definitely wouldn't um, recommend. So we've got to be very careful when we put our jars out for the recycling. Yeah, yeah. bees store the honey for a reason, and it's so they can get through the winter. You certainly won't help uh, anything at all by feeding them outside. And uh, I wish this 
information would not be put out there because I think it does far more harm than good. And here on the island, it's illegal to import any bees or beekeeping equipment? Well, as I understand it, it has been since 1987 or 1988. This has recently been ratified by the EU in, I think, February 2015. So, yes, they have had a ban of sorts over 20-some-odd years. And do you think with our health status of our bees here, it is a chance we could export some of our females or... Or bees uh, to other probably, to help? probably not, because certainly elsewhere, bees are building up resistance to it. And I suspect what will happen is that um, any bees that got exported will probably go down with diseases fairly quickly, I would have thought. I don't know, I haven't got any evidence of that, but that would make sense. And here we are in, in Glen May this afternoon looking at Andrew Scarlett's uh, beehives. He's been quite successful. It's been a good winter for the bees. So I understand. And he's got, I think, five colonies and he's kept all five. As I understand it, the vast majority of beekeepers here have not lost any colonies during the winter. So it's not 100%, but it's, it, it's fairly close. And that will probably be very similar to a natural state where probably winter losses are probably somewhere between 5 and 10% naturally. And there's a conference coming up later on in the year? In September, yep. The Bee Improvement and Bee Breeders Association bringing the conference to, to the Isle of Man. The last time was in 1973. Wow. <laughs> so it gives the island beekeepers a brilliant opportunity to hear some of the best speakers around, including one from America, another one from Holland, and they haven't got to go off, off the island to, to listen to these. So it's three days of solid beekeeping. Although, having said that, there's going to be two streams of lectures throughout, and there's going to be one stream that is suitable for non-beekeepers. So if you get, perhaps, a biologist or entomologist or ecologist or whatever, they will be able to get quite a lot out of it. All sorts of things, like how bees prepare what comes into the hive so they can preserve it or use it, perhaps the mating biology of bees, the genetics, all sorts of things like that. So you don't actually have to be a beekeeper. But if anyone's interested, then it will be um, advantageous to book on the course. I see there's, there's quite a number of young beekeepers on the Isle of Man wanting to get going. How would you recommend they start out? You know, obviously they don't have hives, etc. Is, is there a, a programme they could follow, possibly? Well, I, I don't want to get too involved in what's happening on that score, but certainly in my association, we recommend that non-beekeepers, but those who are interested, come along to our teaching apiary, Learn how to handle bees first, and um, it's, it's very often that, um, that people drop out at a very early uh, stage. The beauty of that is that people can come along, learn on other people's bees, and then if they decide they don't like beekeeping, they walk away with no cost or, or anything. Now, the Manx Federation has set up this teaching apron at Shenhara, which I think is, uh, is a, a brilliant facility. It's a real credit to a very small group of uh, people who've done a brilliant job, in my opinion. And um, if that can be used in conjunction with classroom teaching, I think that's an excellent opportunity for Manx beekeepers. Today was my very first day of seeing how bees were handled. And you were there today, no, no protection on. The bees were very happy for you to be there to handle them. 53 years of experience, I suppose, does help. But, you know, the, the docility of these bees, they're not a scary animal. You know, anybody can no, look right. after them. The four colonies that I uh, inspected this morning, they were fine. But some of them I've handled here, I'm afraid, have been a little bit more aggressive than that. <laughs> uh, and on occasions we've been met. This is what we're trying to, to get over. The problem is, if, if beekeepers have got aggressive bees, uh, and that's all they've seen, 
that's all they think that other bees are, bees are like. Whereas if, especially down at Shenhara, they can get some really good bees in, get the other beekeepers in handling those, they realise that they're good tempered, they then might think to themselves, hang on, I've got to do something about my bees, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about the breeding and the genetics, I suppose, that brings the best out in them. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there are... There are several reasons for bad, bad aggression, and of course genetics is, is one of them. And what's called F2 aggression, which is sort of second generation from uh, pure queens, is a problem. It's not a problem here because you, you're not importing, but certainly um, off-island it, it, it is a major problem. And that's one of the reasons why it's important not to, not to import bees, as well, of course, yeah. as, the, um, uh, as a potential for, for the varroa mite coming in because the varroa mite is um, about the size of a pinhead and literally one of those coming in on, on one bee, if it goes into a colony and is successfully introduced, it could, in my opinion, be, be the end of beekeeping on the Isle of Man as it currently is uh, forever. And varroa will probably spread, in my experience, from the top end of the uh, island to the bottom in three years or less. So it's very important that the public it's and... It's very important and the, and, and the beekeepers need to be uh, prepared for it, they need to be aware, they need to understand the life cycle, they need to be able to uh, identify it and any of the um, associated viral diseases that go with it. So that was Roger Patterson from the Bee Improvement and Bee Breeders Association. Sounded very busy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a super weekend. Yeah, what, what did you learn? The Isle of Man bees are actually a very docile, highly productive little animal. They're, um, they have a lot of problems coming from Europe with the exotic bees being overactive and quite feisty, and they will chase you and protect mm. their hives. But the actual Manx bee is a very docile, friendly bee. Bit, bit like the, the Manx people, really. Yeah, and I'm not being so. insulting <laughs> in any way because I'm Manx, but you know, that sort of laid-back approach and just get on with, with their job. This is their it. Pollen. It's great that, you know, the... the you, don't, you think of them making honey, you know, pinching mm-hmm. the nectar and all yep. from the flowers. But, of course, the pollination and everything off the flowers is so important it's by so them, isn't important. it? It's so important. Yeah, you know, the apple trees, the, the crops, you know, they play a vital role. And Roger was telling us about how important it is to wash out the honey jars that we buy from supermarkets and shops because they can actually catch diseases from them. Yeah. So it's, it's vital that we... We keep an eye out. In the Czech Republic, they've got big hives, like like little small gypsy caravans. Oh wow! And they, they've all got like maybe four sections with different colours in, and they reckon that the same bees will always go back to the same colour as well. You know, that's their sort of little family. That's it. They're hi- highly intelligent. And they are. So that's a nice piece. That Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, I hope you've been educated uh, with Kiri talking to the bee expert there on the programme and also um, finding out a little bit more, hopefully, about proposals for the future of Nokalo Farm and also great news from the Wildlife Park, Kiri, about uh, the baby lemurs and also future, hopefully, with the silver gibbons, isn't it? It's such a great success for the island to have such wonderful animals come and they're endangered as well and it's a real privilege to have them here for all of us to look at. It certainly is. But that's all for this week's Countryside programme. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. 
For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com. Love the end show. Terms and conditions apply.